0: this uh this week started off at least for me kind of, kind of rough had a text from my mom saying that my dad was going to the emergency room for all of you that know he's he's been battling cancer for cancer for three years now and diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and the latest news he, his lung has collapsed and not working one lung and so he's struggling he's in pain and uh but he had his heart was beating really fast and so it, Basically, the, the gist of it was, I guess, when you're taking chemo, it puts stress on the heart, and so he's not feeling good, and here I am, 1,500 miles away, and going, man, what am I going to do? I need to be with my dad, and, and there's all these these stresses that, that go with that, and and I, I just look at the world we live in today. There's many people that are so stressed the world we live in. There's so many things happening, and and then... You have sickness. And then I just had a friend that was only 42 years old that died. And I just heard about a, a mother riding her e-bike with her baby, got hit by a truck, and she died. The baby's still alive. And you go, why, God, right? I mean, you, you hear this stuff, and there's all these things happening in the world. and On, <laughs> on Monday, I was drawn to Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, my favorite line in it says, Be still and know that I am God. Well, Psalm 46 starts off like this. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the water surges. And you have this picture of this chaotic earth, Right? And then you get to verse 10, it says, But be still and know that I am God, and I will be honored in every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. So I sat there and just thought about that. I was thinking, What about Job? And I don't know if that ties together for you, but Job is this crazy book in the Bible where a guy suffers because God allows him to suffer. And you go, man, you talk about earthquakes and mountains and all this stuff. And, and, and I go to Job, and I start reading, and it's, it's really long, and it's really, uh, really written to be a poem, and it's, it's a little bit confusing. And I'm, I'm reading through this, and it's like, wow. Oh. What a question, right? Because we live in a world where many people, if you listen to, well, you can listen to almost any news station. You can listen to any YouTube video, and the world's coming to an end, right? Everything's bad. This is bad, and that's bad, and we live in this, this world, and then you go, well, God, why? Why are all these bad things happening? Why, why is my dad sick? Why? Why? We can ask the questions. And then you go, oh, the hate your old question, right? Why do bad things happen to us, huh? Even when we believe in God, even when we trust in Him. Well, I want to look at Job this morning. I want to walk through this crazy book, and it's about a guy that I used to think he was from us, but the correct definition is he's from ooze. That's worse than being from Bakersfield. Ooze. I mean, come on, ooze. But, but here we have this guy who's outstanding. He's better than all of us. I'm just going to say he's better than me. Maybe you have something to say. I, I don't know. But this guy's awesome. Listen to how it starts off. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of ooze. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God, stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Wow, Job's got it, right? He is wealthy. He's got this, this family. He's been blessed with 10 kids that sounds overwhelming to me but seven daughters or seven sons and three daughters he's got this beautiful situation and he is a man of integrity and a man who honors and fears God and and so then it goes from there and it transports us into the heavenly realms where God is holding court and and so this is kind of a common picture of that day that this is how God ran the universe He would sit up in his court and the angels would gather around. And as the angels are coming to gather around, here comes Satan. Kind of milling around just to see what's going on in court today. And and God says, Satan, what have you been up to? And he says, I've been here and there and all around. And then it says, the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. A man of complete integrity, he fears God and stays away from evil. So this, he's bragging about Job. I doubt God's ever bragged about me. I, I, I hope maybe someday, I don't know, but he's bragging about Job. Now, now Satan, but we use the term often, it literally means the accuser. So here Satan is, he's going to find something wrong with Job. Why? Because he's the accuser. So he sees the perfect guy, and he points his finger, and he goes, you know what, God? The only reason this guy's good is because you gave him all this stuff. I mean, his life is so easy. He is so rich, and he is so blessed. That's why he loves you. Why don't you let me take that stuff away? Now, you expect, and I would expect, and in this place, God would go... No, Satan. Job's a good guy. I'm going to take care of him. But that's actually not what happens. (laughs) And so then it says, but reach out. This is what God says to Satan. You can go ahead. You can mess with him. You can reach out, take away everything he has, and he will sure... Oh, I'm sorry. Satan says this. Forgive me. God says, you go ahead. You can do everything but hurt him. And Satan says, but reach out and take any away everything he has, and he will surely curse your face. So God allows Satan to give him hardship. That's the question, right? Why, God? And so there's four stages of his first hardship. First of all, we have the oxen and the servants. They are taken, and an enemy comes in and attacks, and the oxen are killed, servants are killed. One gets away, comes and reports it to Job, When Job's listening to it, another servant comes along. And now the sheep and the shepherds, they're taken by fire from the sky. While that servant's telling him, another servant comes along and says, man, your camels and your servants, the enemy came and attacked and killed them all. And while he's still talking, the worst stage of it comes, and he says, your children have been killed, all of them. The wind came and knocked over the house, and they are gone. I mean, this is devastating, I mean, right? I mean, we all have moments where it's like, whoa, why? I mean, terrible moments, but this, wow, he lost everything in just this moment in time. In his response, Job cried out. It says, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, fell to the ground to worship. That's quite a response. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. You have to say God was right in this one, right? What a response. He lost everything. What's he do? He worships. He praises God. And so we are then transported back into the heavenly realm. And God is holding court again. And here comes Satan, the accuser. He's walking around. And he's checking out what's going on in God's court. And and once again, God says, hey, what about Job? Have you seen him? Look how he responded last time. I mean, this guy's good. But... Satan's like you know what of course he's good he's still got his health there's nothing wrong with him I mean I took everything but he's still healthy why don't you let me hurt him (laughs) Satan replied to the Lord skin for skin a man a man will give up everything he has to save his own life but reach out and take away his health and he will surely curse you to your face All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. (laughs) So here we have this picture. Job has done nothing wrong. In fact, he was full of integrity. He feared God. He honored God. He loses everything. He still worships God. Now God allows Satan to come in and strike him with these horrible sores from head to toe. And now we have this picture with Job with his shaved head, sores all over him, scratching them. He is miserable. Now, the one good thing in this is that his kids, they, they were gone. All his wealth is gone, but God left his sweet, lovely wife to comfort him. And Job's wife says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity, curse God and die. Isn't she sweet? I had a pastor friend of mine one time say, you notice that Satan took all the kids, all the wealth, but left the wife. And there's a reason for that. And so the wife... Curse God and die. I'm not saying that wives are bad. Please don't understand that. Don't mistake that. My wife is sweet and she would never say that. But Job responds to his wife. You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Job maintains his integrity, his faith, and his devotion to God. And so here we're stuck with this age-old question, right? Why do bad things happen to good people, especially Job? I mean, Job, this guy is full of integrity, full of everything good. And if you're hoping for this answer from Job, why do bad things happen to good people? He's not going to give it to you. You never find out. (laughs) But he gives us something better. And from there, we go to the bulk of the book, chapters 3 through 37. And here we are introduced to Job's friends. And Job's friends are a little bit like his wife. They're not the best. And and so these are wise men, and they're representing the best of human wisdom and knowledge, kind of the best of all the theologians in the world. Here comes his friends. He's got three of them through most of it, and then a fourth one comes in. Uh, But they have this debate, and and if you would read through it in the original language, it's it's a very poetic book. And and, and so it's written in this this poem form, and basically it asks two questions. Is God just? And Is God just? Does he do everything right and fair when he runs the the world? Is God just? And the second thing is, how can Job's suffering be explained? So those are the two questions these wise friends in Job are going to try to answer. But we have to understand there's a big assumption that they're making here. And the assumption is this, that if you have a human action like you're good, you're wise, you honor God, then God gives you success and reward. That's the assumption being made by these friends. If you are good and wise, God does good things for you. The second thing is if you're bad, you're evil, you do stupid things, well, then you have disaster and punishment. That's what God gives you. So that's the assumption of these 34 uh, chapters here that God responds this way so it says back and forth, Job talks, a friend talks, Job talks, a friend talks. I'm going to spare reading 34 chapters to you, and I'm going to tell you what they said in a nutshell. Job, when he speaks, he says, I'm innocent. And we know it's true, right? Job didn't do anything wrong. God himself said, Job, he's done everything right. And so Job says, I'm innocent and my suffering is not divine justice so my suffering is not a punishment from god and so job's conclusion is this god is not running the world justly or god is unjust uh, that makes us all go what job what are you saying man come on cuz okay so so job's saying i'm innocent so man i i i haven't done anything wrong and this suffering I'm, it's not it's not right so God must not be just well the three friends they dispute him and they say no God is just and he runs the world justly and their conclusion is Job you sinned and they literally they even make up sins for Job Then they start making stuff up that he did doesn't that sound familiar some of your best friends out there right they look you must have done this, and you must have done that. Job, you obviously sin because God is just, and he runs the world justly. Then this fourth friend comes along, and the fourth friend has the same assumptions. He says God is just, and he runs the world justly, but he also throws a little bit more of a theological tilt in there, saying, but suffering could also be a warning. Like, okay, you're experiencing this, it's a warning, or it's to build character. It's what all our dads told us, right? When you fall, break your ankle, whatever, you're going to build character. And so, so here this fourth friend changes it a little bit, but it's still the same gist. God is just. He runs the world justly. So basically you're suffering because you did something wrong. And the fourth friend also gives Job this really strong warning. Don't you accuse God. Don't you question God. It's a really strong warning because that's what Job is doing in all this. And so through all this, Job is on this emotional roller coaster, right? Up and down, and he's crying, and he's, he's in this... you got to remember, the guy lost his family. He lost 10 kids, he lost all of his wealth, and he lost his health in the midst of this. And he begins to say stuff as he goes through this. In Job 19.17, he says, My breath is repulsive to my wife. I use that quite often as just a quote at home. I'm rejected by my own family. And Job 30 says, I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. I mean, these are some strong words by Job. Then he says, God hates me and angrily tears me apart. He snaps his teeth at me and pierces me with his eyes. As Job goes through this, as we get towards the end, he finally he calls out God. In his anger, in his frustration, he screams out, "I am innocent, God, and I demand you give me an explanation." <laughs> he takes up his case with God. Forget the friends, right? I'm going to talk to God directly. Here's what he says in Job 31:35. "If only someone would listen to me. Look, I will sign my name to my defense. He's saying, I'm innocent. Let the Almighty, let God answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. He calls out, God, give me an explanation. So now, starting in chapter 38, we hear from God. And it is Yahweh, the God that they talk about here. He's, he is the Israelite God, right? He has no beginning and no end. He just is. This is God, so we better brace ourselves. (laughs) Job better brace himself. Here we go, Job 38.1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. So God begins, where were you, Job, when I created the world? But where were you when I set the stars in the sky? And Where were you when I commanded the waves of the ocean to stop and not come any further? <laughs> where were you when I put the sun in the sky and I tell it to rise in the morning? And where were you when the sun is setting? Who does that, Job? And he starts talking about the wild animals and the habits of the wild animals with all these questions of their might and their strength. Basically, God tells Job he simply does not have the wisdom or understanding of the universe (laughs) to make any accusations against God. You don't have it. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the understanding. Job screams at God, you are not just. And God responds, you have no right to say such a thing. Because you don't understand. You don't get it. What I have pictured here, and I've talked about it so many times, I have the picture so good in my mind, I just don't know if I can explain it. But all of us, we have this box, don't we? And we have this box that's labeled God, and we have God in the box. And sometimes God gets out of that box, doesn't he? And we go, whoa, why? Why'd they die? Why am I sick? Well, why, why, God, get back in the box? I need to understand you. And God tells Job, there is no box. There is no box that can contain me. You want to understand him. We want to understand God. We want theology neatly placed out, but it's not there. God is telling Job, I'm too big for that. And and he wraps this up in chapters 40 and 41, telling Job about the behemoth and Leviathan. And the behemoth and the Leviathan... Man, scholars have tried for centuries to tell us what kind of animals they were. Let's quit trying, okay? But behemoth is some sort of dinosaur-like thing. He is huge. He is gigantic. And God says, look at the strength of his loins. Can anyone capture him? Can anyone tame him? And we know the answer is no. We can't capture him. We, We can't contain this massive animal and then he begins to talk about the Leviathan, and it sounds like a dragon to me. He's got fire coming out of his nostrils, and he says, Can you pet him? <laughs> Can you go up and scratch behind his ears? Can you put a leash on him and tame him? You see, God is telling Job, Look at these animals. We see them, they're massive. They go surfing and start watching dolphins swim through. And then when you see a shark chasing it, then get out of the water, right? Can you tame it? No. Can it kill you? Yes. Why? We don't know. And here God is telling him, look at these animals. And guess what? I made them. I made them. So how much stronger am I? How much more powerful am I? How much more dangerous am I? Because what he's talking about here is these are symbols of beauty that God created. They're also symbols of danger. Beauty and danger that God created. So think about how big and how beautiful and how dangerous our God is. It gives us this clear picture of this big, powerful, sometimes scary, but good God. In C.S. Lewis' Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right at the very beginning, you've got this little girl, Lucy, and she finds out about Aslan, who's the god of the country, right? And, and she finds out about Aslan, and then she hears the Beaver say that he's a lion, and she goes, whoa, time out. She goes, is he, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And that is this picture of our God. He is powerful, all-powerful. He is dangerous. He is wild, but he is good. You see, we try to keep him in this box so it's safe, Right? And we we really, we want, like Job and his friends, we want, if I do good things, God, you'll bless me. Thank you. But that's not really the case, is it? Because we do good things and we're not always blessed. We do bad things and sometimes good things happen. Why? Because God doesn't fit in her box. He's too big and he's too powerful and he's wild, but he's good. You see, in God's world... It's good, because he created it, right? Uh, but it's not perfect, not anymore. Well, we messed that up, put it back in the garden, right? And in God's world, it's ordered, but it's wild. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. You see here, God says to Job, you don't understand, and you never will. So I invite you to trust me. And to surrender. Trust and surrender. That's a pretty big thing to ask after all that, right? In the end, God says, hey, Job, you have no right. You have no ability to understand, so just stop. (laughs) Just trust me. Which takes me back to Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. You remember It says, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear the earthquakes when they come. And the mountains will crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. And in the midst of the chaos of our world, be still and know that I am God. (laughs) In the end, there's this epilogue. That wraps it all up. (laughs) And it says that God declares Job's friends wrong. He says these friends you had giving you advice, they're wrong. And he says that Job was right, which is interesting because Job wasn't right. Job's accusing God. But he says, Job, you're right. (laughs) You see, God honors Job in the end. Why? Because Job was wrestling with this giant question, why, God? You remember the nation of Israel? Israel means to wrestle with God. (laughs) So it's okay to say, why, God, and struggle with God. And in the end, he honors his wrestling, he honors his honesty, he honors his prayer, and he honors his surrender. Be still. sometimes in the midst of life, whether it's really good or it's really bad, we just need to stop and be still and know that God is God. Whether we understand Him or we don't, He is God. We're going to sing, I surrender. I just want you to bow your heads, sing, on to Jesus Savior I surrender Sing it again I surrender but we have to remember it's not because of what he did. It's just that God is good. And God will bless us. He will give us. Maybe not in this earth, but we have the promise of forever. (laughs) God is good, even when we don't understand him. And I encourage us this week to just be still and be reminded, oh, is God. Dear Heavenly Father, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, I pray that you would meet us right there and remind us of your love, remind us of your power and your strength, and remind us of your goodness. And we just praise you and love you this morning. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.